This is Family Electric Ghost, and we're live on the air for the first time with Tina Davidson. Welcome to the Family Electric Ghost podcast. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I'll let people know we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You see the icon up there that says Listen on Newsly. If you use coupon code GHOST, you can get one month free premium subscription for every listener looking at that. Uh, again, we're a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. And I want to let people know that we're actually at episode 992 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast today, tracking on Apple Podcast, getting closer to episode 1000. We've got the link to your book, Let Your Heart Be Broken. And that right now is not clickable, but when you when we are published on all the podcast platforms that you can listen or watch podcasts on, you'll be able to click through on that link and actually go to your book on Amazon. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about Let Your Heart Be Broken, an Artist's Paths to Healing. So again, welcome to the program. I am delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Well, it's always great to talk to musicians. We started our podcast in 2016 talking to emerging independent songwriters and artists. Oh, wonderful. That's how we started. Wonderful. And then we branched oh, out wonderful. to all, all types of people. And so you're a composer and you're highly regarded and, um, and you've also written this book. So we maybe yeah. want to talk about your background as a musician and then, you know, deciding to write the book and talk about your process as a composer. Awesome. So I've been a composer uh, for 45 years. Uh, I have been a pianist since I was five. Um, and I write music out of a classical tradition, a classical music tradition. That doesn't mean to say that my music sounds like Beethoven or Mozart, but it's that tradition that's sort of being brought forward um, into our time. Um, I love what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I didn't grow up thinking I'd be a composer. I, I, th I didn't know what I was going to be, maybe a poet or a scientist or maybe a ballerina. But um, I didn't know that women could compose. So of all the many years that I wrote, that I played music uh, before I went to college, so about 15 years, I had no idea that women could write music because I'd never played any music by women. And it really speaks to how important role models are. They offer doors um, that can be opened. Uh, we might not choose that door, but at least it's a door. So when I got to college and they said, well, every musician needs to be a composer and every composer needs to be a musician. I was sort of thrown into that. And after about three months of composing, it's really all I wanted to do. And I think I wanted to speak about my life. And when you write music, it's really private. It's really anonymous, especially if there are no words in it. Mm -hmm. So it, it was very protective. I could write about this music and people couldn't say, wow, you sound like you've got a problem or wow, you're mm -hmm. really angry or <laughs> yeah. wow, you have mommy issues. So 
it was this wonderful, safe place that I could really uh, explore writing music in. So I, I loved it and just wanted to write and write. So that's sort of how I got started uh, composing music. That's interesting because I grew up, I'm a child in the 70s, but I grew up with a lot of the famous singer-songwriters of the era, and there was a lot of women. Um, yeah. You know, if you think about, um, you oh. know, uh, Tapestry and uh, Joni Mitchell. Oh. And, you know, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of, and with even right. like rock and folk music, there were a lot right. of uh, right. you know, people. But in, class, yeah, yeah, but, but in classic, yeah. But maybe in classical, no. Nah. <laughs> it's such, you know, I, I think what's, uh, difficult about the classical music field is it pretends to be universal mm. when it's really a, a male-defined aesthetic. Yeah. So Bach, Beethoven, I mean, you just, you know, just list them. Yeah. But I do think in this century and, uh, you know, in the last, women started really uh, coming out and becoming composers. And I think what's important, it's it's sort of like the the men had their half of the whole piece, and now women need to yeah, have yeah. their half. So diversity is whatever kind of diversity there is. What's important is that there are different views, and our collective wisdom and understanding increases as those views are being heard. Um, and yeah, I think I that. Go ahead. Definitely, because if you think about like you know jazz, right. like a lot of African Americans got into jazz because classical was kind of like closed, just like a closed loop. Absolutely, but Absolutely. jazz, but jazz was able to show that it's just as complicated and just as Absolutely. like vital. In some, in some ways, it may be more complicated. So, so the fact that you know a lot of African Americans, they think, well, okay, we're kind of be pushed out of here, but then we did the blues, did you know initial rock jazz, hip hop, fusion, there's so many areas and we were able to have our voices heard in areas where we weren't dominant, but then we became dominant right. because we like came out and said, well, we're gonna just feel it. And a lot of what? our, the music that I'm talking about were kind of from the heart and mm -hmm. you didn't have to go to Berkeley and didn't have to go to the college. You kind of, mm -hmm. we're kind of like this, I'm gonna feel the ether of the universe and this, I'm gonna do it because I believe I can do it. Right. And the same amount of practice and experimentation and work goes into all those different genres. So it's not like classical music, like says, oh yeah, I, I work harder or I, you know, I had to go to school. Um, yeah. I love um, that Malcolm Goldstein idea that um, it takes 10,000 hours to make someone really top notch, uh, you know, oh, to start sure. out as, as in your twenties, that by the time you're 21, 22, 23, you really need to have put in 10,000 hours into the thing that you're doing. And his example is that the Beatles did that, you know, yeah, the Beatles, you know, by the it. time they, they, <laughs> you know, they put in the work. And I think that we forget that all these great artists have put in the work and um and i think you know there's there's no magic bullet in whatever field you are and that yeah. work i mean you need to have discipline talent um uh, 
perseverance, resilience, imagination, and, and, and yeah. a good and a yeah. good sense of humor. <laughs> well, I think a lot of times, you know, what I find is like I'm a musician, I'm a keyboardist, I'm a mm -hmm. synthesis. So behind me are all my modes and, oh, my yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. all those things. Mm -hmm. So I do that. I build sound design. So not only do I have to know how to play, but I, I actually build sounds from waveforms. So I build my sounds not from patches for from what the instrument sounds like. I actually build the sound from the waveform up right. with oscillators right. and things. So I uh -huh. build my uh -huh. own custom sounds. And that's kind of like a painter. Like we call it sound Beautiful. painting. Beautiful, yes. Because we actually come up with the tone, the mm -hmm. tone that we're going to use. Before you even write the song, we work on the tone. I work right. on creating drums creating mm -hmm. kicks and not grabbing samples, but actually taking waveforms and building my own custom sounds from waveforms and oscillators and filters and all kinds of structures. But that's its own art in itself. Absolutely. But it's something like I kind of taught myself and I've been doing it since I'm uh, 17 mm -hmm. and I'm 56. Mm -hmm. So I put like, those thousands of hours in to get yes. where I am. And that that's kind of where, where it is. It's just like an athlete, you know, to get right. the three point shot. That's like thousands of hours of practice, you know, right. to be able to automatically right. have the muscle memory to play your Stradivarius or play your 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 Yamaha piano or play a Moog. It's like right. that's because it's muscle memory. So it's right. just kind of like it's just it's there. And then as an artist, like a lot of us, you know, I think we we can channel. When I talk to a lot of artists, they feel like, you know, these songs come to me in a dream, or they come to me when I'm walking in the woods, or if I'm just like Walk, you know, walking down the streets and suddenly I get this idea. And I think a lot of it is a human, like artists can, can are, are willing to hear what comes to them and 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 take the inner and the outer and, and actually create something. So you kind of, you take the ether, you take the muse, and you don't feel like you can, somebody told you, well, you can't do that, right? When yeah. you're an artist, you feel like you, you can do that. And there's nobody right. telling you, you don't have that limiting belief. That tells right. you, you know, I can't do it because I'm not Chopin, and I'm not Beethoven, or I'm not mm -hmm. Lennon McCartney, or I'm not Curtis Mayfield. So you you do it because you believe you can. It's a little bit of, not arrogance, but you have to believe in yourself, right? Right. You know, for a long time when I was living in Philadelphia, I was cre I created a program for inner city schools called Young Composers, and I uh, worked with kids in. I would say uh, difficult neighborhoods and poorer neighborhoods um, and their schools were not very well equipped and they certainly didn't have in the 90s, um, they didn't have a, a lot of music. Mm. But I really felt that um, <coughs> anybody could write music and uh, this is not always shared by by some of my colleagues in the classical <laughs> music, but but I really believe that just like you can paint, you can write music. It's like not a big deal. You, somebody yeah. just has to say yes to you. So we did a lot of building instruments from recycled materials because they had cans and shoe boxes and you know, suddenly cans became drums and uh cymbals and you know, pie pans were cymbals and yeah. then um, shoe boxes were, were guitars. And then they had to write music using graphic notation. So they drew the sound and then they had to create their own notation system. So I really got rid of the classical notation system because I didn't want that to limit them. And 
what I really, what I realized, what I was really teaching was that we are all born with a creative ability. Yeah. Many people have been told they don't have it or they can't use it or it's not important. And I always wanted to be that person that said, yes, you have two hands, you have two legs, you, ha you have creativity. It will grow as you use it. And don't let anyone tell you that you are not creative. Um, that's the basis of life is to really create ourselves. And I think that was, uh, well, I you think, know, to bring, well, yeah. go ahead. Well, like uh, when you talk about you know, like your title of your book, let your heart be broken and you, um, like I think a lot of artists can take the melancholy, right? They take the mm -hmm. painful things. If you listen to Lennon McCartney, you listen to all the singer songwriters from the 70s, from the 60s, you know, Motown, whatever. You listen to any of the great music, usually it comes from a place of like somewhat broken, you know, that your heart is broken and you write this great piece of work, mm -hmm. right? Because you're, it, to me as a songwriter, it's cathartic to take those feelings and turn them into a piece of work and like right. a sound painting. And, and I think when, and I think everybody can feel that. And what's interesting today, like you were showing people how to take those, uh, you know, just anything and build an instrument. What kind of freed a lot of people in the inner city is the fact that you might not know how to, <clears throat> how to play a piano or a guitar, but if you get a device like an MPC or these dogs, <laughs> these digital audio workstations, suddenly you can have a non-standard controller that has nothing to do with the keyboard. It's just pads and people right. tap out rhythms and they just mm -hmm. can hum and they can, you know, once right. they start playing with these machines, they, they don't have to know notation. They can just like, I have a, something in my head and I try to get my finger to match it. And then suddenly they can do it. And that's how I like hip hop and rap and EDM right. and some of these genres are all from people who were not actually piano players or guitar players or bass players or wind players. They don't, I deal with a lot of people like that and they have no original background and music theory at all. They kind of came from, it's all kind of feel what they feel they want to do. They have something in their, in their heart and now they, they have the tools to let them do it. Right. Well, getting back to my book, because I think uh, you, you said, and I loved it, that, um, that it's very cathartic to write music. I, I would go even a step further and say that is healing to be in the act of creation. First of all, it's something you can control. And many times in life, you can't control things. Um, also, you can speak your truth. So um, when I wrote the book, uh, Let Your Heart Be Broken, I had been suffering from some childhood trauma that was difficult. But I didn't want to just write those cathartic heartbroken pieces. I wanted to go and find joy and energy and connection mm -hmm. and even things beyond me, you know, like a spiritual sense or um, a connection to the earth. And I think what I, oh, and I can show you a copy of it. Um, what I was writing about was that path um, for me of allowing my the broken heartedness to be part of my life. So I wasn't always, you know, hiding it or 
composing about it, but not really integrating it into my life. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go through it. I didn't want to pretend it wasn't there. I, you know, it, it gave me richness. And so for me to go through it and find other things on the other side was very exciting that, um, almost by embracing your brokenness, there is this rich earth to build yeah. newer things. And you may be many, many times in a place of brokenness. It could be something as simple as your children uh, have grown up and left the house and you no longer have this identity of being a parent. And that's a huge brokenness for so many people. And it's how you pass through it, with it, uh, live through it, and bring it with you in a healed state, so that it's not, so you're not tripping over it and falling over it, and or creating a big mess around it. Uh, so that has been uh, really important to me, and uh, I write about that a lot in my book. So there's like you know the connection between like your childhood trauma and your composing. It's not a direct, like sometimes you have artists that, that stay like they're in this kind of um, down tempo, very melancholy. And you kind of say, well, they're kind of writing about their depression, right? But sometimes you can, you can, you can, you can treat it in a different way. If you think about the, like a funk genre, you could be, it could have been depressed, but then you wrote something like James Brown and all that James Brown music is not depressed, right? You could have had a lot of adversity, but then you create something that's very exciting. And, and danceable and upbeat, but you could have come from trauma. He had he had a really traumatic background as a kid, but but the, the kind of music he created was very danceable and uplifting. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a direct connection to what the art you're creating, right? I think it really depends upon the artist and what their process is. I think um, one of the things I always wondered is. Do you have to be a good person to write really beautiful music? And uh, it's kind of a, a silly philosophical question, but it's it's one that I sort of wondered about. And I do think that uh, being involved in an artistic process where you're so deeply into your own imagination and your own, you know, and you're in your little studio and you're away from life, there were times where I really felt like I had a double life. Like I had the life that was composing and then I had the life of being married and having a child or not, or going through a divorce and being a single parent or having to earn my living or all those kinds of things. And, and I think that having a double life, one of the interesting things is, is that you can really, uh, create yourself completely independently in your art life. You could be another person yeah, world, in a world, funny way. World. Right. Maybe yeah, you build your own maybe, world, right? Like an author. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Authors, maybe like build worlds. <laughs> right. And and so I know that this is sort of a a silly question to ask, can you be a good person? And do you have to be a good person to write? I do think sometimes my music would lead me to the next question, the next place of growth for me. So I did write a lot about some of the difficult things in my life. 
I wasn't trying to describe them. I was just thinking about them while I was writing music. Um, mm -hmm. But after a while, my music said to me, well, what about your connection to the, to the bigger thing, to mm -hmm. the landscape, to a bigger thing? And then I started to write about that. And in a, in a kind of a way, I my music suggested that I grow up in a certain kind of way, <laughs> grow yeah, bigger. Yeah, you so, evolve. Yeah, you yeah, evolve. Right. So right? I think, and that my music also, I pour myself into my music, but my music also teaches me something. Maybe it teaches street. me right yeah, about myself. Street. Right. It is. It's this kind of interesting process. And definitely um, sometimes being in in a composing world, in a music world, in your head and creating all of this, it's it's not as gnarly as a relationship between your partner <laughs> sometimes. Well, yeah, because you know? at the end of the day, you control like the environment. Like I've talked to authors, yeah. right? And they're doing character design, doing world building. So if you yes. think about a fiction author or a fantasy author, and I've had them on, like well, I spend all this time building the world that my characters right. in, and I build the character design. And they're totally controlling that, like, like they're the right. master of that world. And if you think about right. a, a singer, songwriter, or a composer, you're writing for all the instruments. You're 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 building that whole world of that song or that piece, right? If it's got multiple movements, you're you're constructing what that world is going to be. And there's a, yes. like it does a lot of control. Like when I've talked to a lot of singer, songwriters, and musicians, we're kind of like control freaks to a certain extent. They have a term because like like we can build. Like I, in my world, I can build all the instruments, right? I can do the drums, the bass, the guitars, every, everything. And not only can I write it, but I can use my synthesizers to re replicate it and samplers and all these things. So I can build these environments that even though I'm not a drummer, I can do the drums. Even though I'm not right. a bass player, right. I can do the bass. I can do all the horns. Now, I was a wind player, so I have an idea how I should mm -hmm. do it. But, the, the, but you can just build these whole worlds. And you're totally, you're not waiting for somebody to show up. You can right. actually do it. Right. And so then you, yeah, I mean, that totally is that you can't, you don't usually have that much control in your daily life. The things that happen <laughs> and, you, and you can't control that. Right. So when you're in this kind of creative zone, like in my bedroom studio, I'm controlling all this stuff. But I go out in the real world, I can't control what the next person's going to do, what the weather's going to do, what my boss is going to do, whatever. You know, I can't control it. I, I can deal with it, have strategies, but. I think that's what sometimes when I, when I talk to artists is like they like the idea, whether they're a painter or a musician or, you know, a photographer of having that kind of control over their art. Right. Uh, now, sometimes I have to say the notes on the page get a little bit fussy and I feel like they're like trying to leave, you know, <laughs> sometimes um, there is a, a section of music that I'm not happy with. I'm, I don't love the way it's sounding. Um, and I erase it or I get rid of it or I throw it away. And sort of the next day, there it is again. So I don't have complete control <laughs> always. Um, but I, I do think um, one of the things that I'm really interested in in music is when you have a transition from one place to another place, how do you knit that together? How do you create mm -hmm. something where the listener 
says, wait a minute, I didn't expect to be here, but that's exactly, oh, that makes sense. So mm -hmm. even in, in the arts, there is a kind of, I wouldn't say science, but a yeah. kind of uh, logic. Yeah, there uh, is. You, yeah, you go, oh, <laughs> right. You go, wait a minute. Oh, you go, oh, that, that works. That's okay. I didn't yeah, expect what transition, that. Yeah, what like transitions and movements, like you go from one section, like in the classical pieces, you have these different movements, right. and you could actually change the key. You can change the timing, the rhythms, you know, in pop music, it didn't sound that adventurous, unless you look at progressive rock bands like Yes mm -hmm. and Genesis that followed like classical like movement structures where they could go into different key right. changes and timing changes and polyrhythms and they actually had movements. If you think of like, right. like the Who, it's a rock opera. Right. So they actually had sections that mm -hmm. followed like this operatic structure, which is not normal for pop. And so I've always been to more experimental music that tries to do banding, move mm -hmm. one genre into the next, like mm -hmm. jazz with a little classical and rock with mm -hmm. a little punk or hip hop mm -hmm. with a little jazz mm -hmm. and, and, and have transitions where you, you know, you, I'm not trying to do what's typical. I'm trying to do more atypical. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, so it's a different, like, you're, you're thinking about music, like, like a novel, like, like music could be a movie. It's like, it's very cinematic. Like you think about think guys so. who do soundtracks. Yeah, like a lot of times I've been working on some video game soundtracks and it has a lot of movement. We actually watch the games like film and we score to the game mm -hmm. like it's a film. And so we get mm -hmm. a video, mm -hmm. we're actually composing for the sections of the games and doing the tension and doing whatever the character is doing. We, we're trying to build it like a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool, yeah. So, um, what else can we talk about in my book? Um, um, I've talked about the the, uh, the the building instruments and going in and teaching. Um, uh, so I lived in Philadelphia sort of during the 25 years of this book. Um, one of the interesting things that I do in it is that I, I would write a lot in my journals. So part of my artistic process is to read, so to really to feed myself, feed my music. So read uh, and always journal. I actually do a lot of drawing as well. Sometimes the hand can get at things uh, in a way that, you know, my brain is almost too intellectual. Um, oh. Yeah, too, I'm too, sometimes too much in my head. And so that so you drawing, kind of storyboard it, really, it out, really you storyboard helps. it out or paint it, right. paint it out yeah. or draw it out. Sometimes I just let the hand go and it just composes and, and I mean, it just draws and that informs me sort of where I am. Um, um, and um, right. go ahead. Is that like a stream of consciousness? Can I talk to some people who are really into stream of consciousness, kind of in the moment, flow state creativity. And I've talked to like, you know, graphic artists that get into this thing, but just, I'm just gonna go and, and freeform, just do it on the page and see what comes. And I've talked to like authors who say, yeah, I have a plot line, I have the world building, but then I just go at the typewriter and I just like, go into a flow state and just go. You know, so is it kind yeah. of like this flow state kind of thing? So the way I start to write music is um, 
first of all, I have a title. I almost always have a title. And um, then I might do drawings about that title. So right now, I'm thinking of writing uh, a piece and the title, usually I have lots of titles floating around. Um, it's called, would be called, uh, let's say, Above Ground. I have another piece mm -hmm. that I want to write, which is called How Fast Is Your Alive? And oh, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. So with Above Ground, I'm thinking of sounds that darker sounds and coming out. Uh, mm -hmm. But I love really dark, low sounds. Um, uh, and I love rhythms, sort of, um, I think, jazzy rhythms or mm -hmm. uh, really perky rhythms that are always changing and morphing, um, because that's kind of the way I feel my own energy. Uh, my mm -hmm. energy, it's not a line. It's not like going, going, going. It's like, you know, it's like dipping and then I'm resting and then I'm doing like something. A, and I, like I love, yeah. <laughs> and I love the moment um, when you arrive someplace and just at the moment as your feet are touching the train station, you're off again to another place. So there's that moment of like the gravity is pulling you down and you're mm -hmm. almost connecting to, you're just touching the ground and then you're off again in, into something. Um, sometimes it's, I think of it like rhythm, like a stream and it's, you're in a kayak and you're going down this fast yeah. stream and then you bump into a rock and you go shooting off this way. And then you, so you're not always in control of the, uh, the direction. Sometimes you'll hit things yeah. and deflect and, and I'm really interested musically what happens when you hit that object and you deflect and keep on moving. I happen to love melodies and I'm always trying to see, because I don't write a melody that's a certain kind of melody that repeats. I tend to extend my melody all the time um, and it grows and it grows. It's, Mm, uh, I don't know. This guy it's becomes like, thematic. Is it like a thematic? No. Is it more thematic? No, like if no, you think, no, I no. Don't. that's really classical music. <laughs> yeah, classical music is you have a melody and it comes back, and maybe you have little snippets of it, and people, and then you kind of develop that. I tend to think of development in music um, kind of like a caterpillar that is always changing to the end result. It's never mm. never in the cocoon and then coming becoming a caterpillar again. So the melody of that caterpillar is always an evolving self. And I think that's where my music is, uh, particularly in terms of melody, that you the context may be similar, and you wouldn't say, oh, that's so different than what it was from the beginning. You would say, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. But the sense of that melody always evolving and the into wherever I'm going. Yeah. yeah it's con um, continually, like, very, 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 well, it's like, um, I don't know, sometimes, like, in the experimental music, you know, that's like, I don't know, I'm very much into fusion and a lot of experimental music for experimental electronic artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, like craft work and people like that, but 
uh, the tendency in that music sometimes is that you do have evolve, evolving things, but maybe they kind of goes in and out, right? So sometimes we can go into dissonance and we can go off into a, a very kind of, you know, not tonal, but dis, total dissonance or distorted or something that's a little off the beaten path and then come back. But even when we come back, it's not the exact theme that we came to. So it, it, it kind of evolves in, in, in just pieces of, of something, but it's somewhat familiar, but it's not exact. And so, right. so, so I, it, that type of music is, you know, it tends to be not not the normal formula. It tends to be kind of like, you know. What, it's what a different experience. It's a different yeah, kind yeah. of experience. Um, yeah. And I think the reason I think I like that is because that's sort of the way I see myself. I see myself mm -hmm. as an evolving self and that if I've gone through the caterpillar and the cocoon, I, 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 I'm always going towards that butterfly stage. I'm never quite there. Um, because but you're never I don't fully think, the butterfly. No, you, I think that you, you keep on. Cause I keep on changing and, or maybe I get to the butterfly and then suddenly I'm a slightly different butterfly. <laughs> Oh, no. But you're never um, done. That's the idea, the kind of idea you're never done, right? Some people want to think that you're done, right? That you're always, well, this is me. But, this, you know, what, right. who I was five years ago is not who I am now. It's probably not no. who I'm going to be five years from now. And even yeah. in the same song, the first one minute is not exactly the same as the last five minutes unless I keep on cloning it. Like, unless I keep on going into the DAW and cloning it and trying to make it perfect, I can make it that way. But I'd rather actually go and play it. Right. And and so I'm, I'm more of a field-based, multi-track artist in a world where there's all these dogs mm -hmm. and all these people sampling and people using AI. I like mm -hmm. to go wow. and manually play the bass line for the whole length of the five-minute song. Right. And, right. and actually play it like the way you would if you had to go and actually play the bass for the song, you know, right. or play the piano part. And a lot of people would just cut and snip and make it perfect on their charts. But I like to actually hand play the parts out, mm -hmm. which means there's going to be variations because the human beings involved and it's not exactly perfect, but the microtonal happy accidents are what makes to me the song. Well, so, let's talk a little bit about perfection and art. <laughs> I love that um, the makers of Oriental rugs would always put in a small flaw in their design. You know, they'd have this beautiful design and it would be perfect except there was a mistake. And they would say that they did that on purpose because you don't want to insult the gods by pretending you can be perfect. And I love, you know, I I think um, there is a lot of pressure on, on people to be as best, as much as really good. And it's not possible. And to sort of think of your design as having a flaw on purpose is kind of a, a lovely thing. Um, and it really speaks to the fact that, you know, even if you're creating really good work, there's a, a sense of humility. And, you know, th this is by the grace of God that you're that you're doing this. And, and also, you know, being an, an artist is a real is a real privilege. And um, 
Sometimes I think that artists have those conversations, you know, like it's not, the art is not feeding people necessarily, although it may be feeding the soul of people and we need lots of different sure. kinds of food. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think you know, when you're talking about in your in your write-up about forgiveness and grieving and spiritual connection, I think a lot of artists can can kind of equate, you know, a lot of what we do as artists is we we try to bring our spiritualism and our our our, our sense of forgiveness and grieving into the pieces of work that we do. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you can kind of talk about how you weave that into your process, you know, and how you put that into the book too. Right. Well, um, for me in the book, I have a really concrete example of grieving, uh, of, no, excuse me, forgiveness. And um, I always feel that forgiveness is really not about the person that hurts you, but it's, it's about yourself. So uh, when I started doing forgiveness, it was, I had this dream and I'm down in the basement and it's really, you know, the, the floor is, is dirt floor and I'm dragging something really, really heavy around back and forth on the floor of this uh, basement. And I know that the rope is cutting into my shoulder and hurting me. And finally I look back and I realize that it's a great big sack and it looks so big that it probably has a body in it. And I realize that I'm dragging my stepfather and my relationship to my stepfather around back and forth and that I really needed to get out of the basement. And however, I mean, that dream was so potent and so clear. Mm -hmm. It was like this big wake up call, <laughs> literally a wake up call, you know, wake up and get out of the basement. It doesn't matter how you do it, but you cannot spend your life with this, baggage cutting into you, keeping you down in this horrible space. So I did a lot of forgiveness work. I didn't really believe in it, but I thought I'd give it a try. And while I was walking my dog, who was a, a large, very muscular dog and would always be tugging and pulling at me, I was going to say, I forgive you. And I was going to start with myself. And the best part of it was I didn't even have to mean it. I would say, I forgive you, whoever I was forgiving, but I didn't have to mean it. And I think if I had to have meant it, I probably wouldn't have said it. Yeah. Uh, but so I started out with myself and I forgave myself and I forgave my daughter and my friends and my neighbors and my, you know, my whole circle. And then I finally got to the people, my mother and stepfather. And by that time, I was almost screaming at them. And what I noticed was that I could start to be with them and not be so agitated. Mm. I, I could be with my stepfather. I could actually talk to him. If he said something crazy, I, I could actually, I could stay in the room. Um, when they uh, gave me a Christmas present, I could say thank you. So what forgiveness gave me um, was kindness. I could start being kind to them. It didn't restore the relationship. It didn't make it all right. It didn't make what had happened go away. 
but I didn't have to be so burdened by it. And I think I don't really compose about that, but it gave me so much more room to compose because mm -hmm. I wasn't so preoccupied by this. Caught up by it. Yeah. yeah, by the trauma and the pain and the grieving, I could, and I guess, you know, let your heart be broken. You know, you can walk through it and um, have more more space and, and be more creative. It's interesting your subconscious and your dream gave you that image of that baggage. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and it kind of, like, it tells you, like a lot of people say, you know, you should listen to your body and you listen to your mind and your dreams because your body and your mind and your dreams usually are telling you something. Right. And sometimes right. people go and say, well, they ignore it. Right? right. But it's like, but when you actually listen to your body and you listen to your mind, you listen to your heart, you actually, you know, think about what your dream was saying. Yes. And don't just kind of dismiss it and say, well, that's just a dream. Right. But you actually put it together and say, hey, I should actually, you know, think about taking actions based on what this is telling me well and i love the idea that when you dream you are every part of the dream so i am myself i am the rope cutting myself i am the body in the bag i am the dirt floor um not that i totally believe that but it's just an interesting perspective and i think that's another thing that artists do really well they're interested in different perspectives they want their, um, I never find that, I mean, I do dismiss things or I say, oh, that's not true. Or, but usually I'm really interested. Like how, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you get to that conclusion? Why, why do you think that? I'm really interested. And I think um, dreams, they can mean something or that maybe they don't mean anything. Yeah. But I'm always interested in looking at them. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like, whoa, that was yeah, a really. It's, it's kind of like that childlike curiosity that some people dismiss as they get older. And what I find mm -hmm. is the creative person continues to have that drive to be curious and challenge and not be scared of doing something maybe they don't know how to do. Right. right. So a, a lot of times people. The difference between a person who is actively creative is they are not fear they are not fear not, the fear of failure is not so high that they don't try something different well and i think that if you're an artist you are part scientist which is to be curious uh you know it's not it's not like our fields have got these you know walls in them and and you can't feel like oh yeah i i use my logic i use my um yeah. Sometimes I use my math and sometimes I use my sort of investigative. Oh, I wonder what that's about. I have to laugh because uh, with this publication of this book and it's been really doing well and it's been getting great reviews. Um, I've been doing a lot of social media, which I never did before. And somebody said to me, "Ugh, that's awful that you have to do that. And I said, well, it's kind of fun. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of Thank fun. You. you know, I create these little, you know, um, I have to be careful not to get swept away by it because it's so much fun. I could just be doing that. But it, it's, you know, another thing that I'm curious about. And 
don't think that the old composers and musicians didn't have to do their own kind of social media. A no, composer yeah, like Mozart, I bet he went to a lot of parties he did not want to go to. And, yeah. you know, he talked he to a to lot of people. You got to talk it up. But somehow, you know, back then it was probably like you had to actually press the flesh and talk to people, yeah. show up at the party. Yeah. You know, talk to the newspaper, whatever, whatever outlet there is. Yeah. You, you had to connect to 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 somebody. Right. And so it's the idea that you just stay in your temple of art and it's beneath you to promote it. You know, it's like, well, okay, that's the, the starving artist mindset. It's like, well, I'm just going to be a pure artist and I don't have to worry about promotion. Right. And that's like below me to do that. And, and I think you, at some point you have to, as an artist, to get it in the world, you have to do the things that put your work work into the world. And so sometimes you have to put that business hat on or the social media Absolutely. hat on. Or, or there's other and, things, right? And a lot of times, um, um, even if you've gone to the right schools or studied with the right people or played with the right people, you can come up with a situation where the front door is not open for you for whatever reason. Maybe you're just the wrong person there at the wrong time, or maybe there is actually a bias against you in some sort of way. But I always say, okay, so the front door is not open, break in through the back. Yeah. <laughs> Figure out a way, use that Yankee ingenuity to create possibility for yourself in your work and for yourself. So uh, Philip Glass, who is a, a great composer, Nobody, the orchestras weren't playing his music. So he created his own band, his own group, mm -hmm. and they yeah. toured. And then Steve Wright did the same. So again, the doors are not going to be open for you necessarily as an artist or even as a person. Um, and so I'm always saying break, break in. As I get older, uh, people say to me, well, when you get older, people just ignore you you know, because you're older. And I said, well, wave your hands, you know, get yeah. their attention. Don't <laughs> accept. And I think that this is a very sort of important thing to, to for artists to know and for people to know. Don't, you have the creativity, you have the power. If they're not noticing you, make some, you know, stand there and, you know, make a motion yeah, until they do. Yeah, well, that's Speak why people... Out. You get guys that go out and they play in the subway. You know, you get people exactly that, they go out and they um they show up at an open mic as Absolutely. a poet. Like you go right. to a poetry slam and you show up at the poetry slam. You show up the right. at the at the you know the talent shows. You know that's how you know back at a child in the seventies. That's what I did. I went to right. the poetry slams. I went to the in Northampton, Mass. I would go around Smith College and all that, and go to poetry slams and, and read my poetry out, and yes. then. Yeah, and then, and then I was able to start doing um, some music for a play that from a, a Mount Holyoke exactly. College uh, a lady was working on a play, and I did this, did the music for it. Right. So you, you like you if you put yourself out there, it's because I put myself at the at the poetry slam. Right. So I could be I sit there writing my poetry, my book in my room, but I had to actually go out the, out the house and walk. I, and into I, the place I think to do it. and it. Sometimes that's very hard, depending upon the person. Maybe they don't have as good social abilities. Um, but I think, again, if you're creative, you're worth that extra effort 
do yourself a favor and 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 really get out there and beat your drum, <laughs> sing your songs, um, make make some good noise, uh, so so you can connect yeah. with. Uh, because art to me is always in the end, not so much about me and my journey or my music, but when I when it's played, how it affects the listener. It's always mm -hmm. this collaboration. I can't do it without listeners. It doesn't exist unless people are there look, listening to it. So that relationship is very important to me. I think it's also very important, you know, that, that, that everybody's voice can be heard. And there's, there's, there are people in the industry, in entertainment, that try to say it's a young person's game. So they look at my age at 56 and say, oh, you're, you're too old, right? They look at people, but that's not true because there are, I talk to countless people, you know, that are not just 20 something, right? And and they're doing very well, right? There's yes. people, multiple age groups. It really is up to you as a person. Like if you if you put that limiting belief and you right. tell yourself, well, no ways, then, then it's going to be so. But if you actually show up and you're present, and you, you start to say, well, you know, if I believe myself, it's like the law of attraction. If you don't believe in yourself, then you're probably not going to get a, a crowd around you paying attention to you. But if you believe in yourself, it's not arrogance to believe in yourself. No. It's showing that you have, you know, passion. And, and people it's get respectful. It's respectful to yourself to believe in yourself. Um, and I think if you have a goal in mind that's material, like, when I get a certain car or a certain house or I make a certain kind of money, um, those are kind of false um, road signs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that if the sign is when I'm really connecting with people, when I'm really speaking my truth, um, is music a, a young people's game? Yeah, yeah, it is. But they're going to get old, too. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, <laughs> you know, it's going to happen to us all. And I do yeah. think, um, I, I get a sense uh, from my daughters that they're much more interested in what older women are saying than certainly I was. They're mm. interested in the wisdom, the shared wisdom. And I think as we become a more integrated, respectful uh, society that is open to multicultural, multi, you know, non-binary, all those kinds of things. I think mm -hmm. that uh, the ageism, I always say that ageism is the belief in the flat earth, that when you're walking along <laughs> in your life, when you get to be a certain age, it's a flat earth, so you just fall off. <laughs> and yeah. what we really yeah. want is a round earth where the old and the young are in connection. And that, well, it's like that, that is, yeah. Right, it's the it, best. It's a community, if you think about the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the village and the community and, and, and the old kind of school of human behavior or the oral history, right, before mm -hmm. there were books, right. who was giving that oral history? Right. A lot of women were, mm -hmm. were, were relaying these stories over millennia for all the ancient peoples, they were right. retelling these stories through oral histories and there was like respect for elders. Right. And I think right. people are starting to realize with these tools like podcasting, 
their oral um, communication and oral history that we kind of give through these podcasts, talking to all kinds of people from all over the world, are, are lessons that are learned. And it's not just, you know, the, the fact that if you can talk to somebody like yourself for an hour and learn about Let Your Heart Be Broken, you know, which is your book, you want to let people go and check that out on Amazon. But the conversation we have, that that's, that is open to everybody. And, yes. and so it gets out in the in this virtual square and right. everybody gets paid attention to regardless because right. it's like it's i think it's a very important just to, to use your ears and listen to the knowledge that people have without mm-hmm. preconception and right. just 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 figure out where, where what you can learn from that today there's a lot of use out there so i know we're sort of getting to the end of the hour but i wanted to end on um Uh, an experience that I had as a young composer that was not a very good experience. I was at at the University of Pennsylvania and um, the professor, I had brought in a piece, a very long piece, and he was looking at it and he was turning pages. It was a a big class of composers and he didn't say anything. And finally he shut the score and he said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I thought, whoa, I am not coming back to this class, if that's what you're saying. (laughs) But later in life, I heard, I read um, this other author, and he said, many are called and few choose to listen. So what I want (laughs) to say to your audience is you probably have been called, but maybe you feel like, you know, who's, who's calling me? Or, but just listen and accept the call because y- you are your own best advocate and best person to support you through um, whatever you want to do. So that many are called and few listen to the call. I love that. I think that's yeah. just wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for being on the, on the Family Electric Ghost podcast. I think that's a great point of view to get across to people because I'm always pushing, you know, people, I think all humans have creative capability exactly. and I think it's not just for, for the few, I think everybody should re- get into it and just, just right. be, be happy with what they can do. And, right. and, and, and I, I really respect what you're doing and I'm glad that you wrote the book and I hope people check it out. And uh, yeah. thank you for being on the show tonight. This will be out. Oh, every thank you so time. much. Thank you. Thank you so much. That podcast, Ron. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye bye.